Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode of Happy Hour is sponsored by Gold Star. Gold Star has a great selection of affordable tickets to all sorts of live events, including theater, with Broadway and Broadway national tours, concerts, comedy, dance, and more. The first 200 listeners who use the promo code HAPPYHOUR, one word, all caps, will get $10 off their purchase at goldstar.com backslash happyhour or using the Goldstar app. Welcome to Jim and Tomic's musical theatre. Oh, we haven't done any sort of preamble. Fo. <laughs> Fo. <laughs> Speaking um, of pho, yes. have you ever tried pho? Uh, yes, I've tried pho. Do they have pho in Scotland? I have had pho. In Scotland? In Scotland, yeah. There's actually a really nice uh, Vietnamese restaurant called the Hanoi Bike Club that mm. if you ever come visit, I will take you to. That sounds fantastic. Pho is like wonderful, I feel sick food. Yes. It is so good if you've got like a cold or it's winter. I've made pho. Well, good. Look at... D- and he's single, gentlemen. Right? <laughs> I've made like a collection of warming soups. We um, just got back from camping in Yellowstone and like had to pack in all our meals and stuff. And, you know, we're not great campfire cooks. We're not great cooks to begin with. So it was like hot dogs and cereal and oatmeal and eggs. Um, yep. And we met another fun couple there who invited us to their campsite for dinner. Um, and really the discussion was like, well, should we go back to your campsite or our campsite? And uh-huh. they were like, well, what do you have for dinner? And I was like, well, we've got, uh, hot dogs on long tongs that we're going to roast over the campfire. And they were like, oh, we're making gnocchi with a mushroom cream sauce and roasted zucchini sided with, uh, some bread with, uh, Gouda cheese melted on it. And we we're like, oh, so your place it is. Yes. It was Although- delicious and put our cooking skills to shame. I wouldn't say no to just like a wiener on a fire. (laughs) And he's single, gentlemen. (laughs) Will somebody get us another drink? Welcome to Jim and Tomic's Musical Theatre Happy Hour, your weekly podcast with wine and wiggles. Do you mean wiggles? Those are wiggles. (laughs) Wiggles is in the dance move, or wiggles is in the Australian children's singing group? Um, all. All, all wiggles. All wiggles. You must have seen. You, you must have seen that though. The wiggles. The army, the arts arm? and crafts department. Uh huh. You must have. You must have seen her. No. 
Oh my god, the magic sponge lady. You're saying words as if I ah! understand them. <laughs> ah, okay. First show note of the day. <laughs> magic sponge lady. I'm going to spend the magic rest of the podcast lady. imagining what the magic sponge lady is. Oh, you haven't lived until... No flab on this arm. Flab on this arm. Endless quotes. <laughs> I'm so excited. She's the best. I've never been so anyway, excited for an internet um, thing. What you drinking, sir? I can tell you what I'm not drinking. What? A drop of red wine. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Don't want to ruin the Calvin Klein. Which is Chanel Gautier. Which is bizarre, because, like, I mean, maybe I just live in a schlubby Target world, but, like, when a girl says she's wearing Calvin Klein, you assume it's, like, an outfit. And when a guy says he's wearing Calvin Klein, you assume it's underwear. Maybe that's, that's just me. Okay, yeah, okay. No, I think that's true. And yeah, Calvin, uh, maybe just, yeah, maybe just in our little Midwestern <laughs> world. Our Midwestern world? Your Midwestern Scottish world? Yeah. <laughs> I would, I, I, yeah. Um, what are you doing? Because I guess there's like Calvin Klein suits. There are Calvin Klein suits. I'm, I don't podcast in a Calvin Klein suit, Jimmy. I know this disappoints all our listeners. <laughs> I know. I, I podcast in a ball gown. <laughs> What are you drinking today? Um, I am not enjoying a fine Chardonnay. Ah, good. Clever, because it's in all of them. Yeah. Yes. Um, so that's funny, though, because we said podcast with Wayne, and then we're both drinking Wayne. Oh, look at that. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to... It seems appropriate for this <laughs> show. Sure. Uh <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, Tommy hits with equipment. To our knowledge, this show is one of the only Broadway musicals to include a full stage splash guard for audience protection. Now, read the question. That's what I'm going to say. Splash guard. Splash guard. Not splash zone. We have a lot of Evil Dead people. Which does have a splash zone. This one has a splash guard. And there guard. is... I, I tracked down the story. Duncan Sheik confirms it. They did splatter... Some poor lady's very expensive purse in the front row, despite yeah, think... the splash guard. Well, what I loved is that, in a weird, like metaphysical way, uh, the uh, article that was describing this like w- went right in on like the labels, like it was a Burberry handbag and a oh, Valentino yeah. scarf, and I was like, <gasps> "You understand?" But Jimmy, the great. people, the people are confused because they don't know what show we're talking about yet. Oh yeah, we haven't said that yet. We're talking about American Psycho, the musical. It took me 19 years, but I finally developed a good relationship with my body. Today, computers are management tools, giving you a competitive edge. 24-hour person-to-person service with every checking account. Where's the nearest ATM? I don't clean anymore. Because none of these ordinary cleaners give me what I want. Whenever I shower, sometimes twice, sometimes three times a day, I use a honey almond wash on my ripped body and an exfoliating spearmint gel on my face. I apply Clinique moisturizer and an anti-aging eye balm before I shave with a razor and cream by pour on. No cologne on the face ever as the high alcohol content dries out your skin and makes you look older. Milk's about the best thing I can drink right now to help me build strong arms, powerful legs, and a broad chest. And when all my work is done, will you love me just for my body? I can live with that. 
Milk. It does a body good. My suit that's such today a tiny reveal. <laughs> I know. But that's good. It's very on brand. It is very on brand. Right? <laughs> we don't care about anything. No. It's the 80s. Yes. It's the 80s. <laughs> Welcome. Um, American Psycho the Musical. Music and lyrics by Duncan Sheik of... Um, oh, Spring oh, Awakening. Spring Awakening fame. Sorry. Yep. The big block fell down in my mental brain. That's all right. It happens. Uh, yes, indeed. We have uh, the book by uh, Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, um, who has done quite a lot of TV. has done some stuff for Archie Comics. But mm-hmm. of course, we are so grateful for him helping out with the book of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. He is the book doctor. Um, yes. That fixed the show after Julie Taymor got the boot. Yes. He swept in on his web and made it. A tiny bit better. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Only a little bit. He's also a huge comic books writer. He uh, he is. He is like in charge of Archie Comics, basically. Yes. Um, and has been uh, kind of pinpointed and gra- like he was in talks to do the Little Shop film yes. remake. Yeah. Uh, so seems to go in for this like kind of culty horror. Yeah, definitely. Like the, these campy big horror sort of things he i think he's a he's a drama school grad from mm. yale i want to say um sure. might have made that up who knows yeah, yeah. yale that. school of drama ha! well done Boom. uh take that and the glee episodes he wrote were all right <laughs> high praise coming from jimmy um american yeah. psycho is also based on the novel of the same name by brett easton ellis and also yes, the very popular cult classic 2000 movie Yes, indeed. Um, so the musical itself premiered in my neck of the woods on the West End in 2013, starring Doctor Who. Oh, it's ridiculous. It's so what? silly. It's so it's really silly. silly. It's like the it's it's the Steve from Blues Clues problem. Uh, did, have you heard this thing where no. like the actor who played? Do you know Do you know Blues Clues, the Nick Junior television We're all show? For Blues yeah, Clues. there you go. Right, yeah. and the guy Steve. Um, was like while he was on Blues Clues, also had like a role as a murderer on Law and Order. Um, oh, great! And there was huge outcry because like my toddler saw Steve murder someone on Law and Order. And, oh, this is the worst! Um, and it's he quit Blues Clues because he was like, I don't want to be Steve the rest of my life. I would like to have a career as an actor. Oh. Um, yeah, he's an interesting character. But Matt Smith will always be Doctor Who, even when he's not. I think exactly. it's the Doctor Who problem. And so to have yep. him play Patrick Bateman. Interesting choice. Exactly. But in many ways, Doctor Who is also a psychopath. So True. it's all good. <laughs> um, and yes, yeah, so it hot-footed over to Broadway in 2015. Where uh, it, it tumbled and flopped spectacularly. Poof, poof. Yeah. Yes. Um, and we'll we'll chat all about yeah. why that may have may have happened. I was gonna say may or may not have happened. No, why it absolutely it did happened. Happen. It played eighty it performances and closed before the Tony Awards that year, which is always a bad sign. Very very bad. Um, okay, so well, where do you begin? Oh American man, Psycho. American Psycho. I'm gonna preface. Yeah. I'm gonna preface. Uh, <clears throat> it's probably one of my all time favorite movies, uh, and I absolutely adore the book too. Jimmy's been waiting a long time for us to do this episode. I have, I have. Yeah, and we'll, we'll talk about, I, I told you my, my journey of mm-hmm. 
me in this musical. Your your hate hate love hate 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 love relationship with this show. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so we'll we'll get into that. American um, Psycho yeah. tells the story of Patrick Bateman, a Wall Street businessman in the eighties, late eighties, um, <laughs> experiencing the huge Wall Street boom of that time. Um, he is an asshole, he's a womanizer, and is also deemed decidedly boring by his friends, um, but also has a secret nightlife as a serial murderer and rapist. Yeah. Yes, he is. That's and it, him. It, it chronicles his descent into his own psychosis um, and uh, bloodlust and how, you know, it really doesn't even make him unique despite his best efforts. Exactly. Um, and the whole thing is kind of tossed up in a salad of, uh, is this real? Yeah. Is it not? Cause he is the unreliable narrator, mm-hmm. but is he even that it's, there's lots of questions. Yeah, absolutely. All and tossed up into the salad with a, with a hefty side of, you know, uh, late stage capitalism, um, consumerist ideology and critique exactly along with a really hefty hefty critique of yuppie culture yeah because this is really kind of this is the the birth of yuppie culture yeah uh, a lot of people describe the 80s as the beginning of the end yeah uh, and this kind of goes right in on that uh because it's you know it takes place in new york which is the kind of center mm-hmm. of the 80s yeah uh in so many ways so yeah it's, it's a proper look it really is. World. And if, if you have seen the movie, the which I imagine is most people's entry into this media, yeah, the musical so. stays like is the same story, um, but uh, there's a really interesting spin on it having the kind of music that's attached to it. It certainly has bits and pieces of the, the actual period music that is so prevalent in the film and the book. Um, yep. But then Duncan Sheik's additional songs in his <clears throat> own kind of synth, synth pop way are appropriate for the time-ish. Um, but Yeah, some, certainly some of them you could you could imagine would be, you know, hits by whatever new wave band you're yeah, listening to at the time. Like. Exactly. But it does add a really interesting edge to the show. Definitely, yeah, um, and it's it's kind of like unrepresented on Broadway, yeah, in its entirety. Maybe yeah, the show um, the show's weird. The show's unique. I'm excited to talk show. about it. Yeah, for sure. Um, so let's talk about it. So I think, well, I'll just say my journey now. Okay. I'll get it out of the way. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I saw the movie years and years and years ago. Mm-hmm. Like pre-uni, whenever that was. Okay. Um, it was like really into because it was during my whole like, I love wanky cinema. Uh-huh. Time. Um, 
<clears throat> so I was like, oh, this is cool. It's allegorical, mm-hmm. you know, get into this. Um, and then, then I read the book and the book is like a whole different kettle of fish. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, and completely different and completely different from anything I've ever read. Mm-hmm. And I just keep, it's one of those ones I do keep going back to mm-hmm. because you, you can't read it all on the first read. Yeah. Okay. If that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really jarring. It's very disconcerting. It's more graphic than any of the other fictional representations of the musical or the movie. Yeah. Um, there's so much more there. And mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, cause it is the source material. So it's right. going to, well, gonna also, I mean, I, th- I think Alice is on record in some discussions, the author of the book um, yeah. saying that like, while he enjoys the movie that it gives too many answers and that's one of the mm-hmm. problems with it being a film is like you yeah. can't be as ambiguous as you can be with a book um exactly yeah because i think he said like the movie genre itself demands answers mm-hmm. yeah that's when you go to a movie you want an ending mm-hmm. uh whereas this book doesn't really have that at all uh-huh. um <clears throat> and it's actually quite interesting the way that the musical plays with this so um, yeah, the first time I heard the musical, I had a friend who went to see it in London okay. um, and told me about it. I was like, oh my God, you're going to love this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so I listened to Cash Card and I was like, no, I think this is the worst thing I've probably ever encountered in my life. Uh-huh. Um, I just hated it uh, because it was just, it was kind of making a mockery of this piece of fiction that mm-hmm. I really highly regard. Yeah. Um, and then I listened again. Yeah. <laughs> and then I listened again. Then I watched some of it uh and then just slowly but surely became like obsessed with <laughs> uh-huh and i now like it's one of my go-to listens really? so in 20 yeah in 2017 they, they did that like spotify uh what is your most listened to uh-huh. you they, know, like send you the email thing. yeah matt smith is my most listened to artist <laughs> of 2017 <laughs> oh, you are probably unique in that way I uh, think I probably would be. Um, and I was quite sad about it, but also, you know, secretly yeah. proud. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've really grown to mm-hmm. to have a place in my heart. It's not perfect. It's actually quite bad in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. But um, in many, you know, and I think there are other, these like cult musicals yeah. that aren't good, but some people are just obsessed really over. Really obsessed with them. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I think it kind of falls into I, one of those categories. I wrote this much further down, but I see a lot, or not a lot, but I see plenty of parallels between uh, American Psycho the Musical and Carrie the Musical. Yeah, like, absolutely. Not good, like objectively not good in a lot yeah. of ways, but people love them so much that they want them to c- continue to exist. Totally. Um or yeah, it's in again. They want it to. They want it to excel. They want it to. Yeah, they exist want. They want more way. people to experience it, for whatever it is, because of some you know some indescribable piece of it that must be shared for some reason. Yeah, which I do like. I I I feel that I don't. I don't think I would call myself an American Psycho stan yet. Uh huh. But having gotten into it for like in prep for this podcast, you know, I watched the film for the first time yesterday. Um, I see why there's, there's that scuttlebutt around this thing. And it makes me really curious about like why it's not still playing on Broadway. Yeah. You know? So, right. So you're, you're talking about how you watched the film. 
I what did you them. think about the film? I thought it was beautiful. Um, like, it's definitely... <laughs> Strange I've, choice of words. Weird yeah. choice of words. I thought it was very, very cinematically stunning. I see why it is an American cult classic. Um, yeah. I, I think it, you know, is a really solid film um, that is an interesting blending of, like, a black comedy and a slasher. Um which is not, I imagine, in, what, 2000, when the movie came out, was not yeah. a terribly explored genre. Um, like, it, it is really well filmed. It is really yeah. well paced. Um, you know, and it is one of those, I feel like there are these kind of cult classic films. Like, I watched the movie for the first time yesterday and saw plenty of scenes that I know I have, like, already experienced. Yeah. Like, it is such in it is so ingrained in pop culture that like it's impossible to not have experienced part of this movie already before totally. sitting down to watch it for the first time um but i I thought it was really good um you know and like a, an an interesting you don't get a lot of popular movies that are so filled with allegory that are you know so like appropriately ugh, deep. I wish I had a better adjective. Um, but yeah. like, and, and with such an ambiguous ending and with, yeah. you know, so much um, like combination of absurdity and terror in them. Um, totally. Um, Cause it, yeah, I don't know. I find it, it it's strange. Cause one of the things that people do always kind of come away with is that they talk about the, the comic element. Yeah. Um, and when we, we kind of go into why, it might not have worked on Broadway. I think that's something that I definitely want to discuss a bit more because for me, it's never really been any sort of comedy. Like even mm-hmm. it, it could be like the blackest of black comedy. Yeah. But not in a, I don't know. It, just more in a, you're looking at the world through a yeah. different lens. But I think you know there, what I mean? there's de- like, <clears throat> there is something intrinsically funny about an ax wielding murderer doing his business to Huey Lewis in the news. It's funny. That's funny on its own yeah. without context. That's funny like a clown walking down the street is funny. Um, like, yeah, I guess. You know, there there is comedy in here. And so then you ask, like, that comedy in the spectrum of the broader thing, does it diminish the comedy or broaden the comedy in all these, you know, insert a cat into an ATM. Mm-hmm. That's funny. That's funny on its own. And then See, that's oh yeah, I guess. And, but then it, you're questioning like in the context it is less funny and more uh-huh. scary and absurd and like that's intentional in the point. Um you know, like watching Christian Bale dance around in that raincoat. Uh-huh. Is funny. People make gifs of it on the internet because it looks funny. Yeah, you know. I don't know. I, I, maybe I'm just being too highbrow about it. But I, I always just like I kind of look at it with my hmm mm-hmm. face. Do yeah. you not like ah? Oh, yeah, like I like, would, I would art. certainly <laughs> never pitch to someone like go see American Psycho, the comedy. Like you'll laugh, right? Yeah, certainly not. But I think that it, I, I, adds yeah, to sorry. it. No, go on. Because I, I would say yeah, like the the comedy that I can see from it comes from uh, the kind of just ridiculousness of all of the characters. Yeah, um, and the their priorities and this this weird hedonistic world that they live in right um it, like it's ridiculous yeah. but it's to me it's just i don't know it's just not necessarily funny yeah like i'm not laughing at it i'm just going like this is ri- ridiculous like um yeah. 
it's almost it's almost like it's this weird alternate universe. Yes, that they live in. Right. Uh, but then that's the the scary joke. This is not an exit. This is not a parable. This is not an allegory. This is yes, the eighties. Yeah. This is the world we live in. Um, so yeah, that's something I always find quite interesting. Is that a lot of people to call it a comedy? Yeah. When I do, um, I think this is something we'll run in, into in this podcast and in some of the um, reviews I was reading and even some of just like the scholarly, scholarly papers that are written about the movie and the book. Like, yeah, this piece squarely lives in its own ambiguity. Like that is super Tots. intentional. And the, the questioning it makes you do is the point, you know? Yeah. So like our, yeah. you know, different views of comedy versus not comedy is the point. We're both on either side of that tightrope. Yeah, not, I guess. That's not really how tightropes work, is it? Both on either side of it, we would both fall to our death. <laughs> so that maybe that is how you wanted to phrase that. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, so in, in terms of how the, the movie and the book uh, tie up with the musical, because mm-hmm. it's kind of picked bits from both, because, yeah. because it is now such a cult classic. Mm-hmm. Um uh, what Duncan and uh, Roberto have both done is that they have had to kind of do a bit of fan service yes. in there yeah. um, for both camps. Yeah. Uh, now, I would say it's more like the book mm-hmm. than the movie. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, um, just because there's more, thi- more things that happen in it are directly from the book. Mm-hmm. As opposed to the movie. Like, that's yeah. about it. Yeah. Um, but then there are, like, some of the direct imagery from the movie finds its way exactly into the musical. Um, you know, even just, like, playing Huey Lewis in the news at the end of the And that's in the one. book. Oh, is that? All right. Well, then never yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the the book, anything that's in the film mm-hmm. is it's pretty, pretty much, much explicitly. All right. Yep. So the way Huey Lewis in the news plays into it, um, you know, you've got the... In the film, there's the the chase scene. Mm-hmm. So it does this quite a lot. Um, so the book's all completely narrated by Patrick. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have the whole chase scene. Then it ends really abruptly. And then it goes into like a 12-page description of Huey Lewis and the News. Huh. Um, and that's that's just that. And you just kind of accept it. And that happens quite a few times. The, yeah. the, first, the first kind of big murder he does... Mm-hmm. Uh, with i think it's just a homeless woman mm-hmm. um he comes in and starts talking about genesis mm-hmm. uh straight after you know and it's it, that is it's very um disorientating yeah. that's it's totally the intention and there's a, f- a few chapters in the book that are completely there to just make like, you throw you go crazy yeah, yeah basically yeah um so yeah it's it's, it's all there everything everything is there um there are little bits like the Tom Cruise in the lift mm-hmm. scene. Yeah. That's in the book. Okay. Tom Cruise lives in his building. Yeah. Um, and you get to see kind of Patrick being... Yeah. That's one of the first times you see him uh, being a bit awkward and a bit more... Yeah. Human, I okay. guess. Okay. Uh, in the book, certainly. Yeah. It is interesting because we talk shit about uh, movies adapted into musicals all the time. Um, yeah. And I do, I don't feel that way about this one. And I wonder if some of it has to do with that it is a hybrid of a book and a movie. Yeah. That like um, it can do the fan service of the movie and get the pop culture audience in, but also can expand upon it with, you know, quote unquote stuff you haven't seen. Yeah. You've seen the movie. 
Yeah, I think the the where the where the bits that kind of annoys me is because the fan service are such such obvious nods. Okay, they're such like hey, yeah, that how... everyone feels it compelled to be like woo. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's <laughs> how that's how Mean Girls feels to me. Um, yeah, you know, it, it it's kind of like bingo. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you get your American Psycho bingo card at the beginning, and <laughs> yeah. Um, and that kind of upsets him because it, it it stops it from being its own thing. It stops from telling its own story, right? Um. So, but yeah, but that's just a, a personal gripe. Um. But yeah, one of the other big um differences between film uh-huh. uh and book slash musical uh are the inclusion of uh, his mother and his brother mm-hmm. who are not uh, in the movie. They're not in the movie. Um. They are in the book, but they're very very different. Yeah. Um. And I don't think that was one of the things that I really wasn't happy about yeah. the first time. Interesting. Um, yeah. So his brother's actually reasonably, reasonably successful. Um, okay. And the only interaction they have in the book, uh, his it's kind of like a one-upmanship mm-hmm. that they have on each other. Yeah. Um, and he is very much trying to kind of blindside his brother but his brother isn't having any of it and his brother keeps kind of batting it all back mm-hmm. whereas i think in the the musical yeah uh he's kind of just played as this like ridiculous stoner mm-hmm. yeah. um and it, what's weird so in in the book mm-hmm. in that scene in the dinner party scene um there are two characters who are effectively his brother in the musical okay if that makes sense. So they yeah. are like Brooklyn's Brooklynite stoners. Right. Like artist types. Yeah, but they kind of merge obviously... them. Yeah, to, to kind of put this into yeah. his brother, who isn't actually his brother in the fiction, yeah. which is But they uh, do that. Annoying. They do that with a couple. Don't they do that with uh, the police officer and... Yep. Uh, is it a lawyer? Um, yeah, his lawyer. Who turns into the police officer for the musical. Um, yeah, they get get kind of merged. Yeah. Um, but I think, so with, with the... Um, brother thing mm-hmm. the thing that I find tricky is uh, that's his family okay. so that's like uh, character clues right yeah that is a, a, a part of I mean? who he is whereas an exterior character is less important somehow yeah 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 and so, particularly with when it comes to the mother like yeah her song is purely talking about Patrick when he was a young boy mm-hmm. um is a way for Gene to kind of feel sympathetic towards him. Yeah. Uh, and like I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh, because yeah. what you're doing there is you're psychoanalyzing him. Right. And you're kind of excusing. Yeah. Well, what he's, do you know what I mean, you're like paving that way. I, so it's, yeah. And I'm like, you can't do that because that isn't, that's, that's not, not the, the story. Right. Um, yeah. So that annoyed me. And for me, like, I can see why they've put it in mm-hmm. because it's like characters need backstory. Right. Uh, we need more female characters that aren't going to be slaughtered. Right. Uh, you know, or we, I don't know. It's like, we need a moment for Alice Ripley. Yeah. Like, which part of it seems like, Hey, Oh, we accidentally cast Alice Ripley in this. Can we give her some things to do? <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, yeah, I don't, I don't like, and I think can just be sliced right out. And do you know what? It can be sliced right out. Yeah, there's no reason she's and there. And no one will know. I do think, like on on the whole, it is interesting. Having watched the movie 
after knowing the musical. Just yeah. some of the games they're playing with order and like yeah. the chronology of these things happen in. And I don't think either like the movie chronology or the musical chronology seems inappropriate. And it's just like they've played, you know, they put all the post-it notes of the scene on a bo- of the movie on a board and then rearranged them a whole bunch. And it yeah. doesn't drastically affect a lot of things. Um, yeah. But it is interesting to me that they did the thing. Like the, the um, it's hip to be square murder scene happens uh-huh. so early in the movie. And I know it as the end of act one in the musical. Um, yeah. And it was like, I paused the movie to see where we were at. And it was like a quarter of the way or maybe a third of the way into the movie. And I was like, uh-huh. what, where are they going to go from here? But a bunch of stuff from the musical that had already happened by then just hadn't happened yet in the movie. Um, yeah. And I do find that interesting from a structural standpoint because it it kind of works both ways, which I think speaks to like how unimportant the specifics of some of these murder scenes are, uh-huh. um, which I think speaks to some of the larger structural problems with the musical. That like uh-huh. it doesn't really matter. Like it is interesting where the movie and the musical both put Patrick inviting Gene over. Um, because it is, it's a much bigger deal in the musical, I think, than it is in the movie because it's later, if I'm remembering things right. Um, Yes, it's pretty much the, like the denouement. Right. Whereas in the movie, it's about halfway through maybe, um, it's like, yeah, like, you know, we don't see a lot of gruesome murders before that, certainly before the chainsaw scene. Um, yeah. And so... It paints a different Patrick Bateman, maybe, in both of them. And I think the musical one is perhaps a little less successful. Yeah, uh, it's tricky. So the musical actually follows the book a bit more. Really? Um, okay. But what, see, what the book does mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, Patrick's killing people from the second chapter. Right. And he just does it willy-nilly throughout the book. Like, it's not as um, beated. Yeah. As it is in either the film or the the musical, I guess the musical kind of gets around it in Killing Spree. Yeah, where he's just you know just killing lots of people, right. and that's but I, kind I of do, their way of saying. I do get a sense, and this is only I haven't read the book, but I've read a couple synopses. I yeah. do get the sense that both the musical and the movie play with like revealing the information to the audience piecemeal, like oh, he brought in this pillowcase with maybe a cranberry juice stain on it, and we haven't quite seen him murder anyone yet. And, like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And, like, certainly the beginning started with what we assume is blood in the movie, but actually ends up being, you know, strawberry topping on whatever dessert. And, like, there's a bunch of foreshadowing before it's like, oh, is he killing people? Do I know he's killing people? Where, and correct me if I'm wrong, but my assumption is in the book, it seems much more early where they're like, yep, He's killing people. He's just killing people. Yeah. Um, the. I, I mean, I guess, but then I think it's just the length of the different. Yeah, the different mediums. Things. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, because the first, the first big kill with the homeless person in the musical, mm-hmm. the homeless person in the film, yeah. and the homeless person in the book, okay, uh, which is the so, first like heavily described, yeah, like to the kill. to the audience, yeah. Yeah, but he's. I think by that time of the book, he's already done his like screaming into people's faces, being like, "I want to slice off your skin," like right. that kind of. Yeah, so that's already happened. So maybe that does mirror. Interesting. 
yeah um the that's the thing like if you read if you read the book first mm-hmm. you would never understand how they could make this into yeah any other piece of fiction yeah. it's um it, it's really interesting because i've <coughs> i have experienced this piece of media 100 percent backwards right yeah, uh-huh, Philly. Yeah, musical yeah, yeah, movie, and then haven't read the book. Um, uh-huh. And like, I don't. I, I in in the world we live in, in the musical theater world, I find that interesting, just as a a concept, because like the 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 poor dads who were dragged to Mean Girls the musical because it's on my mind for the first time, and like had never seen the movie, and yeah. how do they experience that piece of art differently than the moms and the daughters who dragged them there? Um, for sure and like you know finding the balance in our particular art form which is built off of adaptation of like serving the adapted work while also being true to the art form and making it new and interesting and appropriate for your medium yeah yeah that's a good but i've never really thought of it like that but i don't know if i if i kind of look at the musical on its own Mm mm-hmm and separate it from all the other pieces. Yeah. I, I feel it, mu- it would just be awful. Yeah. No, I think that's the problem. I think, <clears throat> I think this musical is kind of caught between itself. Mm. Um, and if it, if it just, if it had just given in to any of the three directions, like yep. screw the book and the movie, we're going to be our own musical or screw the movie. We're going to be true to the book or screw the book. We're going to be an exact representation of the movie. It yeah. would have succeeded more, but because yeah. it tried to like Venn diagram it all into one perfect center, it just ended up being like atonal and mismatched um, and not cohesive. Totally. A hundred percent. That is exactly it. Um, but yeah, we still love it. Yeah. What's that? Bizarrely. So bizarre. Yeah. December slides into January, which mutates into February, which creeps towards March. There is a theory that obliterating Paul might have satisfied something, but no, no. I've continued to have intense dreams about vivisection. My nightly bloodlust continues to overflow. Hey, pretty girl, do you want to dance? Do you want to get lucky? Well, this is your chance. The drinks are on me. Can I be frank? I'm doing quite well in my investment bank. What do you do? What do you do for a living? No, don't answer that. I don't care. I'm just kidding. You can ignore my friends at the bar. They're trying to This episode is sponsored by Gold Star. Gold Star. Gold Star has a great selection of live events, affordable tickets, and terrific customer service. And most of Gold Star's tickets can be changed or canceled if your plans change. Did you know that, Jimmy? I did know that. How great is that? Um, Yeah, so we asked you uh, last week that if you used our uh, promo code HAPPYHOUR... Uh, to give us a shout out about what you got. And we had some people, Tommy. People have been using it. I am so happy, one, that like I'm hearing about people going to see theater, but two, that like we're able to help them with you know our, our, our fun little promo code here. Exactly. That's the, it's, it's so easy. Like It's one of those things. I think most local productions, if you're in the States, sorry, yeah. UK, uh, but most local productions are on it anyway. So if you are planning on going to see something, just use the code and get some money off. Um, but we had uh, Suzanne Jensen, 
who went to see uh, Once on this Island sings Aaron's and Flaherty at 54 Below. Uh, which sounds so much fun. That's so good. I'm so jealous. <laughs> right? Um, and Catherine Cries in Public Hope uh, went to go see Puffs, or is going to go see Puffs next month. That's that, that Harry Potter Hufflepuff parody thing. Perfect. I love awesome. it. Do you know what Puffs is in the UK? Uh, I don't know if we're allowed to talk about it in an ad read. <laughs> Lol. Uh, no, it's like a, a, a crisp. Ah, not what I was going to guess. Um, yes. If you use the promo code HAPPYHOUR at goldstar.com or on the Goldstar app, you get $10 off your purchase. And remember, most tickets on Goldstar are already about 50% off. Exactly. There's just no reason not to. So you get $10 off your first order by using the promo code HAPPYHOUR at goldstar.com backslash happy hour go do it enjoy some theater buy some tickets absolutely and then tell us what you went to see and how it was because that's really what we care about is people yeah it's always quite intriguing theater. yeah it's quite intriguing to see what people are getting right? up to like and they have such a fantastic selection of things like you never know what you're gonna find absolutely so yeah let us know and thanks gold star for sponsoring Oh, this is rich, I shouldn't say, but this guy at work is totally gay, and that's all cool to each his own. Some guy's ass is not what I bone, I'm bored, let's roll, let's go back to my place, and after a party, I can eat your face, don't be nervous. Invite your friends The night is young But it all depends love it so much why can't we go see it right now well so What's this was on? this was popular on the west end like people liked the show right it sold out uh, very very quickly i think uh am i getting it mixed up with groundhog day i don't know i think it sold out before it's it's run even began yeah um because of matt smith uh, and because of duncan chic Okay. And because of American Psycho. Yeah. Uh, like its name propelled it. Had, yeah, it. big, it, big it brand didn't appeal. propel itself. Yeah. Yeah, because it wasn't reviewed well. Interesting. At all. Yeah. Okay. <coughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think there's a bunch of reasons. I think one of the biggest things, and I didn't know this until I started reading up, but it originally was going to transfer off-Broadway. Off-Broadway, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I don't know if a theater opened up or they got an influx of money or what. But they decided to skip off Broadway and just jump straight to Broadway. Yeah, and I yeah. think I've, that was a. I I like squarely think that was a mistake. Totally. Um, it it really doesn't make 
yeah, it doesn't make any sense because after London, yeah, they knew they had to do a lot of rewrite. Right. Yes. And it has been heavily rewritten between yeah. London and Broadway. Um, so it's quite interesting that they then didn't, you know, yeah, have like, an off Broadway run where they could try it to have a, a half workshop, like yeah, in a smaller um, house with cheaper tickets. Yeah, exactly. And it's also that kind of show. Like it wouldn't, it wouldn't be weird, you know. It wouldn't be yeah. like SpongeBob off Broadway, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it would fit. But in a small they just house. didn't do it. I think it's hubris. Yeah. I I think it has to be because there's no. I've yet yeah. to see a reason mm-hmm. other than, oh, it just didn't happen. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. I've been I've been kind of trolling through some old tweets of the time, um, uh-huh. and I don't I don't have like for for some musical theater authors in my head, for better or for worse, I have like a uh, what I feel is a pretty accurate representation of their personality in my brain. Uh-huh. Um, like, I bet you I could do a character study. I have done a character study on Stephen Sondheim. An inaccurate one, but nonetheless. Um, a great accent, though. Thank Flawless. you. Um, but, like, I feel that way about a lot of musical theater authors. I don't feel that way about Duncan Sheik. I don't, I can't tell him, you know, I can't read him very well. Okay, interesting. But I found a tweet from him right around when American Psycho was closing. Um, yep. And he said, the truth is, American Psycho the Musical is for the cool kids, which is not to say traditional musical theater goers won't like it, but the fact remains. And I I feel the hubris there. Yeah, he's he's damn dirty feel of himself. But, like, it's fine. Um, Right. Like, like you you should be proud of your stuff, but... Yeah, totally. He's, like, Duncan Sheik is very much like a musician first. Yes. Um, And... uh, kind of storytelling we talked a bit a bit about this when we did spring yeah way back when that was ages ago by the way um and because we we talked about with spring like the way that he writes songs Mm -hmm. they're extremely poetic extremely metaphorical um and he's he doesn't apologize for that right uh, and I think that's just Duncan Sheik's kind of thing like I've listened to quite a lot of his his own music just his own pop music Mm -hmm. um because he's a big Jeff Buckley fan. I'm yeah. a big Jeff Buckley fan, and I like people yeah. who like Jeff Buckley. Um, and it's 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 totally got the vibe. Like you can hear yeah. Spring Awakening in his music, or yeah. I guess vice versa. I do think um, w- with something like Spring Awakening, which feels like that story can be unabashedly poetic and heightened throughout the entire thing, yeah. and it, it is appropriate for the story. In American Psycho, like we hit what three four songs in oh baby baby you're such a card yeah. you make it seem so easy but it's oh so fucking hard yeah oh baby baby like nothing yeah. nothing happens in this song and i get that it is a popular scene in the movie and i imagine an important scene in the book and we need to put a song here right yeah but we don't end the song anywhere near where we began it and we should we should see patrick bateman getting angrier or more peeved or putting on a face more or something right yeah we should use this as an opportunity to build this character who is at the middle of this piece but instead it's like a novelty number um in a show that really doesn't deserve novelty numbers exactly um and th- again, this is one of the other because I feel it's the same with mistletoe. Yeah, uh, kind of the same with hard body. Yeah, I mean, I feel um, I feel um, 
it's even the same with you are what you wear, which I adore, which I really enjoy. And like, yeah, we're establishing what women are in this world. And like, we, we already met all the men. We have to meet the women. But it's not nothing. Nothing happens. Nothing happens. It's a list song. Yeah. But so what I think here uh-huh. is this is a very tricky thing to do with the source material because mm-hmm. in the source material nothing happens like you'll be sat for chapter upon chapter Mm -hmm. of lists of uh of what people are wearing like he there's literally one chapter where he goes through about eight different people and lists every single item of clothing that they're wearing Uh um or you'll be reading a menu Mm -hmm. like they do in the musical tell you everything about it yeah yeah um so that it's weird you are what you wear isn't jarring to me because it's it's, it could literally be a scene in the book. It's not, yeah. but it could be. Right. Um, but that's where I think, like, this is why it is interesting the order we approach these medias in. Because just because it is an accurate representation of the book mm. does not make it an appropriate song for the musical. You know what I mean? For sure. But what do you not think it heightens that kind of vapid, like, I don't, these characters are I empty as shit? I think it's one of the better songs in the show. Um, yeah to be honest, but I yeah. think it is also emblematic of this like low grade hubris that runs throughout Duncan Sheik's music. Um, Interesting. Like that, like you will understand this song or not. And I don't care. Um, like I watch that song and it's entertaining and I hear people enjoy it and I don't uh-huh. think they get it. Right. I don't think they're where you are with it. And like right there with the vapidness of all these people, like, ha ha, what a, oh man, they're naming all these clothing brands that I recognize and they're projecting it behind it. And then they're doing these weird dance moves. How exciting, yeah. you know, oh man, this is great. Um, and now I know this joke must be funny because they delivered it like this. And then they turned their face to the audience at the moment. That must be the punchline, Manolo Blahnik. Like, but it's not really a punchline if you don't understand it. You're just, like, mm-hmm. getting the telegraph that, like, this is a laugh. Um, yeah. And I, personally, I think good mu- musical theater should cater to a dumber audience. Um, right. To put it very bluntly. Like, if people don't understand your art, then your art is less successful. But then what do you think about with something like Spring? I think Spring is access- more accessible. Um, I really do. Um, I mean, because, because it lives more squarely in the clouds of metaphor because you don't need to understand the explicit words, like your assumption of what they're saying and what they look like is appropriate uh for the meaning that's behind it. Even Uh if you're not quite getting the deeply intentional metaphoric artistic words behind it right but the tone of you are what you wear and the intent and meaning behind you are what you wear are disparate from each other right you are what you wear with earmuffs on or in a foreign language is a fun poppy techno song right the concept of you are what you wear is like this really sardonic uh, uh critique of consumerist society um which doesn't like match the dance moves when they're saying you know peggy johnson that's not her name that's not what it is um, betsy, johnson. betsy johnson um you know like that that mismatch their 
doesn't read. It doesn't match. It's not. It's not far enough away and clear enough. Um, and I think explicitly in "You Are What You Wear," but throughout the whole thing, a lot of it, you know, because it is a, um, you know, it's a high art concept piece in its construction, in its costume, in its set design, in its music, in its choreography. Um, yep. And it's a high art concept piece based on a cult classic movie and like we may watch American Psycho and go into it and be like look at all this allegory but not everyone does um and mm-hmm. so there there are people coming to see this who love the movie because it's a a black comedy and like they're you know reading in certain things I don't mean to dem- I don't mean to say that like dumb people watch American Psycho but like y- it is foolish to say something like this musical is for the cool kids. Um, it is foolish and hubristic to like bolster yourself up with that. You have to find the middle ground between appeasing the unwashed mass- masses while still staying true to your artistic allegorical roots. The most yeah. successful artists can do both at the same time. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think that tweet, you know, I can't remember exactly where it came in relation to it closing. Yeah, it was but like I think it was like right after. Yeah, it was either right before or right after. Um, the wound so, was still fresh, so yeah, I will so absolutely I give any artist the benefit of the doubt. Right, now. <laughs> totally. Um, but it's it's interesting though because like in in terms of the actual songs in the show, yeah, my favorite ones and the ones that I think work and the ones that I would want to see more of mm-hmm. are the like high art allegorical. Yeah. yeah. So, so songs like Killing Time, mm-hmm. songs like uh, Not a Common Man, mm-hmm. or um, uh, but, 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 This Is Not an Exit, mm-hmm. um, at the end. Like, these ones where they're very poetic again. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about thematic things. Yeah. Uh, I, I think work a lot better in the show because they kind of just sit above it. Yeah. Whereas the songs that are like action songs, so things like cards yeah. um, or things like mistletoe alert. Yeah. I think are pish because yeah. they, they're, 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 they're story propellers as yeah. opposed to let's talk about what we're talking about and what you're watching here. Right. Um, and I just don't think that suits American Psycho yeah, as no, a that, piece of fiction. That's true. Because it's not it's never about the plot. No, it's never about the plot. It's never about what's happening. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, as we talked earlier, I do think that is a symptom of like trying to live in between all three of these mediums yeah, instead totally. of squarely sitting in one. I do think so, um, this is not an exit is something that sticks out to me. Um and something I wanted to talk about. Um mm-hmm. and the concept of an anti-hero and whether yeah. the audience pities them or yeah. sympathizes with them. Um, the comparison I keep drawing in this mind, in my mind with this musical is Sweeney Todd. Um, yep, of course. The, the original horror slasher musical, um, yep. which is squarely Brechtian in its design and its conceit. Like you are watching this story happen. And by the end of, you know, attend the tale of Sweeney Todd, basically, yep pity Sweeney Todd 
pity these poor people who, you know, pity Mrs. Lovett who could not get what she wanted. Pity Sweeney Todd who could not get what he wanted. Like, pity these poor flawed characters from afar. You do not empathize with them. You pity them. You feel bad that they existed. Um, Which I felt in the movie. Like, I pity Patrick Bateman. Um, You know, I, I feel a thing about his struggle. Yeah. I think it's wrong. I think he's still an awful person, but like I gain a little more understanding of his psyche. Yeah. I think one of the huge traps that the musical falls into is it pushes you a little more towards the sympathy end of the spectrum with mm-hmm. Patrick Bateman that yeah. like you're like, "Oh, I understand where you're coming from." Totally. And, and like I think you know, don't understand where he's coming from. He's a psycho. It's in the title. Like, um, but I think that is one of the other glaring plot problems that is a a culmination of a musical's worth of songs. Yeah. I think, like, I I do, I totally agree with you. And I think a lot of that comes from putting Gene a lot more in the center of the spotlight. Yeah. um, And putting his mother into the story like right. you're getting all of these other sides of patrick's character yeah you're that you're make you be like ah oh. right you're you're you humanizing know? him and he should totally. not be humanized e- exactly it's just that's just not the point yeah of any of it um because that that last chapter the last moment in the film the last moment in the musical well not really it's the song but it doesn't yeah i guess it's a bit different um but like, so the the book ends with the line, "This is not an exit," and the film right. ends, ends with, with it the sign him. over his shoulder, yeah. mm-hmm. um, because that is really kind of what is about the idea that he's almost living in this right. uh, hell. Yeah. Uh, what do you call that? Um, uh, purgatory. P- yeah. Purgatory. I mean, it's, yeah. It's squarely. Uh, it's isn't it a Sartre play? No exit. Um, yeah. No exit. The four people is, trapped uh, in a room that ends up being purgatory. Um, yeah. Like it's it's a super literary reference, um, but uh, and like so. But what I, what I think is it's is to imply that almost is that like Sisyphean thing of you're gonna mm-hmm. have to go through this again and again and again, and right. it takes you away from the all of the human aspect of it. Yeah, because he now becomes this kind of archetype, right? Or this kind of avatar for anything. Yeah. Um, and I think, but what I think this is not an exit does well is that it hits home that. Uh, I'm not me. I'm not anyone. Right. Uh, this is just what my representation of being Patrick Bateman is. This is what Patrick Bateman means to me. Yeah. Means to me. And that's, again, that's how the book ends, is yeah. that line. Even and it is. Musical. Uh, it it is. I think... No, you go. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, um, with Sweeney Todd, uh, the comparison can be kind of extended further because in the finale of Sweeney Todd, um, you've got. Um, no one can hurt, no one can hide you. Isn't that Sweeney there beside you? Yeah. Uh, and this idea of like Sweeney sits in the parlor wall, he's everywhere because he's everyone. Mm-hmm. Like he's in everyone. Yeah. Uh, that idea. And I think American Psycho uh, tries to kind of relay that as well as that this is all, we're all kind of, we have our own Patrick yeah. Batemans. Yeah. I mean, it's um, it's explicitly in the plot too. A, an, in all three versions about the like 
mistaken identity and like uh, misrecognizing yeah. someone for someone else. And in a way we're like, yeah, the, all these businessmen are exactly the same. All of their exactly. business cards look exactly the same. Um, yep. Like they are just cookie cutter versions of each other and are each their own American psycho. And who yep. knows what else they get up to in the quiet hours of the night. And that's totally. why the realtor is like, you have to leave because this is the 16th, filled with dead bodies apartments we've had to deal with this week. All you American psychos living around here or not, or was it all in his head? Um, exactly. Like, um, yeah, but that's, you know, I mean, when the lawyer's like, oh yeah, I just had dinner with Paulo and he could be talking about Edgar Halberstram. He could right. be talking about or, um, Tim Price. Like, or Patrick could have totally mistaken someone else for Paul Owen all night exactly. and accidentally killed the wrong person. Um, that's exactly it. Cause none of them ever know really, you know, they hear rumblings that Paul Owen scored the Fisher's account, but it's, you know, I mean, it's always just that, oh, who did that? Oh, I don't know. I think it was this person. Oh, look, there's Thingy over there. Who's he with? Oh, right. yeah. yeah. Um, and you're constantly dipped into this confusion world yeah. um, that is uh, yuppie culture in New York in the 80s, you yeah. know, where everyone was aspiring to be the exact same thing. Yeah. But it, um, it does very much make it seem like the the perfect way to tell this story is through the book and that the movie and the musical are representations that bring it to a wider audience. But because yeah. you actualize them with visuals, yeah, it removes a, a whole nother layer to this story. I think the musical yeah. even more so than the movie. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things. Like, I think actually... Uh, Musical theater is a great place for American Psycho, but you yeah. just need to take it completely differently. Yeah. And I think this is where I almost kind of agree with Duncan Sheik. Mm-hmm. Um, it would never work. It would never get on Broadway, but I don't think that's where this is supposed to be. No, because... this would have done better off Broadway, yeah. Yeah, or just wherever. Like, just as a, a piece that you saw in, you know, Detroit. Yeah. Like, uh, who exactly. knows? Uh, because it's... it's it is highbrow, like yeah. it is highbrow. At the end of the day, it yeah. talks about big things, yeah, um, and it asks you to suspend your disbelief, like yeah. you're not going to get answers, yeah, um, and you have to be okay with that, yeah. Which you get a lot in straight theatre, right? You don't get a lot in musical theatre. Yeah. I, um, I do, and so I think. Mm-hmm. Well, I just, I just think American Psycho, therefore, could actually be a great piece yeah that branches out into this new yeah. kind of era of musical theater yeah. and this was like so, highbrow this was yeah. so close um mm. there's there's an early interview with brett easton ellis who seems to have been very involved in the writing process which you don't often see um yeah in this kind of relationship um and it's like i think it might even be pre-west end like still when they're writing it or it like yeah. an old they had a kickstarter too um so yep. like there's a bunch of old media about this <laughs> But he talks about how he thinks the character of Patrick Bateman might be more suited to a musical because he views himself as larger than life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I that really resonated with me. And it was very specifically talking about like his enjoyment but slight distaste for the movie. Um, that yeah. like in a world of close-ups and answers and zoom-ins on the eyeballs, you can't have a kick line or a big dance number. Like you can't yep. have these gigantic things that are how Patrick Bateman views his life. Um, yeah. 
And the musical certainly delves into some of those things. Yeah, it skims the surface, but I think it could crash in a lot. Like, I would love to just go see a really, like, misty, heady yeah. uh, look at this where I'm just, I leave feeling so confused and disturbed. Yeah. Because, and as well, um, and again, it bums me out, like, a lot of the reviews go into it being like, it's not horrific enough. Mm-hmm. You only get this one scene. The thing is, at the end of the day, you can't have a scene where a rat is eating a woman's right parts. No, do you know what I mean? On a stage, you, you can't actually have no, that. It's gross because... and also not interesting. Like it's wrong on yeah. both levels. Like it's it's indecent and inappropriate, literally for the stage, but also like it doesn't advance the plot. Like it would exactly. just look so, silly in the moment. So what I think the musical then should do is is kind of curve around that idea yeah. and just eat into the allegory and just mm-hmm. really just delve into that like take it like like we said before like take it as its own thing yeah um because and i i do think that duncan Duke would be a great person to write it yeah because he's good at that like he is good at letting you think through a song and interpret it yeah um how you wish uh and there are those moments like killing and killing time. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not an exit. Not mm-hmm. coming back. Like these, where he's very good at giving you breathing space to to think about things. Um, so yeah, yeah. I don't know, but you do. The, the other thing is, is you do need the violence. The violence is very important. It's really important. You need the blood. And, you need the yeah. Well, it's just like yeah, because in the book. You know, by the time you get round to the rat scene, I don't think the rat isn't in the film, is it? I don't think so, no. I don't think it is. It's horrific. It's it's probably the most horrific thing I've ever read. Mm-hmm. Um, but by the time you get there, you're so desensitized. Right. That you read it as if it's, you know, a Harry Potter chapter. Like, it's really impressive the way that he just, like, kind of nulls you. Yeah. As you're reading the book. Yeah. Um, and... Like that just comes through all of this shock, all of this violence. Yeah. Um. So to try and I don't know to bring that into the musical somehow. Yeah. To get to that stage, to get of, some of that you know, desensitization. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know how you would do it, yeah. but that's what it needs. Yeah. Because it's not scary; it's funny. Yeah. Right. Like all of the all of the killing moments, they're not scary at all. No. Because it's very difficult to do. It's very right. difficult to do. It's very difficult to do. And it, that's the thing that it, if we're talking about the comparison with Sweeney Todd, like all of the murders in Sweeney Todd are scary. They are so gruesome and scary. Depends on your production. Like, it depends on your production, true. But like yeah. as intended, you know, there is. And it, I, I think it is, maybe that's a problem. It's harder to make chopping someone's head off with an ax to Huey Lewis in the news as appropriately terrifying as it needs to be yeah you know but again though by that point you're really numb yeah yeah like in the book that's that's like two-thirds through yeah interesting. you're numb at that point um so it's yeah yeah it, i don't know i just feel so like ha, it's yeah. so close yeah it's kind of i mean i bet it's the sort of thing where it also might have just been the wrong season i bet you if american psycho was this year it would have swept like 
well, this is it. Like, because yeah. we're we're talking. So this is the, this is the seventieth Tony Awards. This is twenty sixteen. This is Hamilton year. This is Hamilton um, year, which was also a gigantic year. Everyone forgets that like Waitress opened that year. School of Rock yeah. opened that year. Um, you know, but then it's one of those things. It was only nominated for lighting. Yeah, lighting. It was two. It was lighting and um. Hold on, I can find it. Scenic. Right. Do you know what I mean? And because of the projection, like, great, well done. Right. Like, the projections are great. Yeah, and the lighting's sure. great. And they're, you know, they're great. <laughs> yeah. But uh, to be honest, even if it was this season, I still don't think the material is good enough yet yeah. that it would have done well. I don't, like, it's that's the thing. It's just, I love it as, like, my problematic cousin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's that thing that it's like, oh, it could just be so good and I can see its potential. Mm-hmm. I understand why everyone else would hate them. Right. But I'm like, I'm really rooting for you. Yeah. Uh, well, and it, it's also sad because in the, in the world of musical theater, we'll probably never see another American Psycho. We'll probably well, never. Do you think it's going to be revived or put up somewhere? So that there's talks it was certainly the talks were last year uh-huh. um but there were talks about bringing it back to the west end again really? after some more rewrites yeah okay. but i just don't know i think like sorry roberto but i think you need to leave the project and someone else mm. needs to take it up That's because yeah it's that it, it doesn't need to be a book musical yeah. like you need just go full on smart, full on spring awakening with that. it yeah and, yeah, like, Roberto like, writes smart stuff, but his stuff is... There's a reason they brought him in to fix Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Um, yeah. Like, make it into a, a family-friendly, theme park-style comic book piece that was still clever and smart and funny. Um, Absolutely. Like, he's he's a big horror fan, and yeah. I think that's why they brought him in. Yeah. Because um, he wrote the recent Carrie movie. Yeah. Yeah. The 2013, but I whatever do... that was. You know, I've just had this thought, but I don't think this is a horror story. I think it is a slasher story, but it doesn't have the kind of like... Because if we're, if we're talking in broad strokes about a horror movie or a horror genre, yeah. like, I'm never particularly... I'm never particularly scared of Patrick Bateman. Or mm-hmm. I'm never particularly scared for the prostitute that he's chasing down the hallway. Yep. I'm, you know, not in that horror kind of way. Yeah, you don't have that peril moment. Because right. the thing is, is you're not really rooting for anyone in no. the fiction. And so that that seems like a misstep. Yeah. Some of the more horror conventions that made it into the musical. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Is it's, they've just tried to make it a book, a book musical. Yeah. But it, it's not. It's something else. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It needs... It needs a a ghost quartet treatment or something. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Just something, like, something super funky and out of left field. Yeah, big old stramash of ideas. Yeah. Like, I'm into that. Yeah. No, but absolutely. Who knows? But yeah, so I don't know if this West End one is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, I would love it. Yeah. Because I'd also just love to see it in the flesh at some yeah. point. Um, but... I don't know. I've yeah. not heard any rumbling since their initial well, rumbling. That may make a fantastic opportunity for a transition because I do That's why I was trying to hit home the point. <laughs> talk with you about the differences between the West End version and the Broadway version. Feel 
Well, you can wipe off that grin. I know where you've been. It's all been a pack of lies. And I could feel it coming in the air Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This one struck me a lot, and I'm going to use some bad words here. Um, it's all right. They use it in the, the musical In and everything. In the West End version on the cast recording, when Patrick is sleeping with Courtney, I don't know what song this piece of dialogue is attached it's to. It's in Hard Body. It's in Hard Body. Um, yep. Patrick is about to call Lewis something. And Courtney says, don't call him a faggot. Yep. Um, because he is a closeted homosexual, and it's the 80s. This is an appropriate shock-filled term for this moment. Appropriate's the wrong word, but, like, time period appropriate, right? Yeah. For their characters. They changed that to Broadway. And she says, don't call him queer. And I found this, like... This really sideswiped me, and I found it kind of jarring that they had downgraded from the, you know, homophobic term faggot to the homophobic term queer to describe Lewis in this homophobic moment. Um, It really took a lot of the air out of it for me, and then I, like, like, the pendulum swung in my head and was like, but no, we should never be okay with the word faggot on stage. (laughs) But then I was like, but it's appropriate in this moment, and I really didn't know... How to feel. And then I also thought, like, who in the transition team from the West End to Broadway was like, mm, you got to cut the you got to cut the F word there. Like, but what that confuses me more is they keep it in in Killing Spree. Right. When he's talking to uh, Gene, I think and he's like, I had to kill some fag dog and his fag owner where it's also that's the only place you see it in the movie as well i imagine this is an assumption that it's more present in the book oh yeah yeah um i'm sure they cut it out more for the movie because you know that it's a movie uh um, yeah but it's strange that it wasn't an all or nothing right like like are they like oh courtney needs to be nicer like yeah. she wouldn't use that word yeah like, and like at that point, I wish she had just said, don't call him a homo, because, and, like, granted, we're ta- well, no, we're, like, 2016. Like, I think, and certainly up for debate, but we are well on our way towards retaking the word queer um, in yeah. that moment. And, like, this is this is the interesting discussion. Like, queer was almost certainly as equally an offensive term in the 1980s. 
right? Mm-hmm. You could probably toss either around and get the same meaning about in that time. But yep. the reason you're removing faggot from the show isn't because it's inappropriate for the 80s. It's because you don't want to shock your 2016 audience. And so then inserting the word queer, which is probably pretty normalized among a 2016 audience, seems like the wrong writing choice. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It it really struck me. Yeah, I I do find it. I always find weird tiny bits like that yeah. strange because it's not... The, like they generally the only reason I can think is that they were like worried about Courtney's character. Yeah. But she's so underwritten in the musical anyway that it's like Who cares? Why you why you fuss, mate? Like, yeah. <laughs> and like and she's saying something that like clearly Patrick has said before too. It's not even from her brain. Yeah, exactly. It's not her opinion. She she actively doesn't think he is. Right. Um But I don't know. I found this I've it's it's a topic that has been in the back of my mind for a while like the use yeah. of specifically the word faggot but also a lot of like outdated terminology in pieces from the time and like yep. especially in this sort of world where like we're not supposed to sympathize with any of these characters but do you change it to reflect contemporary sensibilities or do you keep it to be true to the time period you're attempting to represent yeah you keep it i just think 100 percent you keep it true because like you know, if you were doing rag, if you were writing ragtime today, yeah, you wouldn't not include the n word. Yeah, that's true. Do you know what I mean? You just yeah. you 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 couldn't, and that would be an insult to the people that fought to reclaim that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And to to fight against that because you need to. It's that thing. It's like you need to see how bad it was. Right. It's representation in order to time. see how you've moved on. Yeah. Um, There's. It's. It's not. And and again as well, like they're not calling, they're not looking at into the audience like you're all a bunch of right. Uh, yeah, it's you, you know, yeah, it's all it's all within the text. So I I think a hundred percent it's representative of the time. Yeah, totally. Do you think? I mean, we've we've talked about this a bunch of times, like with Hamilton and with a couple other like Amerocentric plots, mm-hmm. like. The a a West End audience seeing American American Psycho is different than a New York audience seeing an Amer- seeing American Psycho. Specifically, our quiz question, like the fact mm. that a lady in the front row br- brought her designer purse and was angry that the fake blood got splattered on it in this musical filled with vapid people bringing their designer purses everywhere who don't want <laughs> yeah, to spill exactly. red wine on them to the musical theater. Yeah, yeah, like the irony there is overwhelming. Um, yeah. but like. I wonder, like, I also wonder if that's a, a a problem with it flopping on Broadway. Like, if it would have been better in even in, like, Chicago. But because this is New York, and it is kind of like, hey, New York, mm. look at you feeling, maybe that totally. contributed to it, some of its success on the West End. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, the yuppie culture that will be... And I guess... We hadn't had the Hamilton boom yet because right. the Hamilton boom was currently happening. Yeah, like uh, the yuppie culture that before the teens took over. Now, mm-hmm. um, they were the ones that were attending the theater all the time. Yeah, you know what I mean. And it's it's a very kind of stark look at that. Yeah, um, <clears throat> you know they keep they talk about Les Mis every five pages in the yeah. book. Um, 
and they, you know they go to see it and the music you know it's they don't shy away from the fact that it's like hey yeah this is you well in the book they don't i wonder if in the musical they do um because they know who their audience is, right? And they kind yeah. of hide it in that like more satire feeling, like, this is a ridiculous portrayal of a rich New Yorker. This couldn't uh-huh. possibly be true. Um to because they know the yuppies are coming to see the show. And they yeah. saw the matinee of Les Mis last week. Um yeah, exactly. like it's why I wonder, like, they need don't put the blood screen down and splatter the blood on everyone's fancy dresses. Um, like if that's what they're going to do, it's very, are they the futurists? Um, uh, uh-huh. the ones who like would r- put fresh paint on the, um, auditorium chairs before the audience came just to mess with them. Um, yeah. I think I have that theater history, right? Um, like go for it. If that's the point, if that's the reason you're doing this show is because you're passionate about this message and you're passionate about this story, then it's like it's theater. There's a reason there's a live audience. Dive into it. Use it. Do it. But I feel like some of the tonal shifts of it, some of the differences between the movie and the musical shy yeah. away from that reality. Yeah, I think so. It, it's it's slowly but surely becoming squeaky clean. Yeah, uh, and it's not a piece of fiction that that you can do that to. Yeah, you know, which is unfortunate. It's not squeaky clean because it's looking at the right. horrible people. Right. Um, but it just seems distant and separate now. Where the point yeah. is that this is not an allegory. This is reality. Yeah. Um, the. The kind of interesting point of like you talking about like a mirror-centric and comparing it to Hamilton, mm-hmm. um, it's an interesting one because on the West End, I would say on the West End, mm-hmm. it was more well received than Broadway. Okay. Um, like there are more people I would say who want to go back to that theater as opposed to going back to mm-hmm. see. The Broadway version. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Interesting. Um, and I do kind of wonder, is that a contribute? You know, I mean, is that a part of the whole, oh, you're talking about New Yorkers. Right. But the West End lot see it more for you're what talking, it is. Right. Or does it let you, if you're on West End, it lets you view it more from afar. Like you're talking about Americans right now. Yeah. And their consumerist tendencies. Not that I don't think these things exist all across the world, but there's a reason it's American Psycho. Um, totally. But I mean, as well, I guess the 80s was one of the biggest times of the UK and the US coming together. Yeah. But uh, like, but it's not... everyone was rich. But it's not, you know, London Psycho. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. American right. Psycho in London. Yeah, exactly. The sequel. <laughs> That's funny. Um, but yeah, yeah, totally. But I think, you know... With your Wall Street, we have our Canary Wharf, mm-hmm. um, and you can you can see the parallels. Do you know yeah. what I mean? We have the same the same people. Yeah. Uh, but I also think, mm-hmm. and I'm very up for having a sparring match. But I think West End audiences are used to seeing stuff a bit more highbrow mm. than a Broadway audience. I, I, I think I would 
begrudgingly agree. Yep. I, um, no, I wish it what, was different. Yeah. No, what I don't mean by that is I don't mean the musical theatre audience. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually think it's the complete opposite. And I've talked about that before. Yeah. Um, like the West End's off as a theme park. Right. Uh, and Broadway sadly seems to be heading that Heading way. that direction very squarely. Yeah. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, Broadway audiences would be more up for seeing a bit of art, but uh, the theatre going like the play audiences, mm-hmm. the straight theatre audiences in the West End, yeah, do, you know, are they're fine to watch anything, yeah. What and the kind of the wankier that, that kind of also West makes me wonder, which is something we haven't talked about. Like, what if this was just a play? Like, yeah, if it was a play adaptation of American Psycho, it had the full soundtrack that the movie in the book has had no songs yep i bet you it would have done pretty okay i don't think plays nowadays do very well generally speaking well Um, they certainly don't make nearly as much money right and so you know there's problems in there too but at least as a a piece of theater literature yeah the the musicalization of it seems almost not entirely but almost inappropriate yeah, I think, I don't know, there's times when I say completely, and those times are mistletoe yeah. cards. Yeah. Um, but there are times when I think, oh no, it needs to be a musical. Yeah. Because, two reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, one, the Brett Easton Ellis argument of, it allows you to come out. Right, it, it lets you just you go so deep into it, yeah. Yep. Um, the other one being music is so important to the story mm-hmm. yeah like music is such a huge feature of it yeah um so the songs that that they cover yeah. and rearrange in the musical yeah uh are fantastic and they really they paint the era yeah you know no, they, it... they take these iconic songs and they did they did a good like good on <laughs> the creators for you know getting the rights to don't you want me putting in hip to be square like you know it's yeah. the problem with um it's not going to go anywhere but um first wives club the musical um didn't get the rights to you don't own me um well like what why would you go see it right um like you have to get those rights first before you go into it but totally it like high high on the list of good moves by yeah you know uh roberto and duncan yeah definitely and the arrangements that duncan chic has done of this yes are fantastic like the in the air tonight one so we actually performed that is with our choir Uh uh-huh um it's incredible. Yeah. It's it was he's everyone's favorite of the night. Yeah. Um because it's just so everyone knows the song. Mm-hmm. And then you do kind of get blind saying like, "Oh wait, oh is this what oh, oh, it's right. different." Yeah. 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 Or um and they use it really well. Even just the the you know, subtle sound design stuff they do with Hip to be Square at the end of yep. Act 1 and like how it gets this dark tone to it. Totally. Super theatrical, super appropriate, exactly what it needs. Yep. Um you know, and it, and it does, I don't know, it kind of makes, this is why I think early on when we were talking, I said, like, Duncan Sheik's theme and style for the music for this sort of thing is appropriate for the time period. I think the thing I didn't say was it seems a little less appropriate for the musical because the music that's in this show mm-hmm. that isn't from the time period 
is not the kind of music that Patrick Bateman listens to. Give me examples. Anything he sings is not this kind of... Because, like, while we're in the 80s, and a lot of Duncan Sheik's um, music would fit squarely in the 80s, not a lot of it sounds like Phil Collins. Not a lot of it sounds like Huey Lewis in the News. Um, uh, right. But he also listens to Whitney Houston. Right. But not a lot of it sounds like Whitney Houston. Um, but as in, I think the idea is that Patrick Bateman is just a culture absorber yeah okay do you know what i mean so i think if it's good and it's popular yeah you'll know everything about it yeah um and i think there are lots of songs in this that are extremely new wave yeah um and yeah do sound like they've just been patched straight from the 80s like killing spree yeah no absolutely yeah um uh which majigger bob majigger lujigi mm-hmm Bumbley my thingy. favorite my favorite song yep uh <clears throat> killing time killing time i've already talked about it 20,000 times uh yeah. again like very has that really deep new wave club sound yeah um that you can see i do think there are exceptions yes mistletoe yeah end of an island yeah don't know what they're doing in there um but that's all right yeah okay. but then i guess end, end of an island has that kind of like stereotypical mm-hmm. we're on holiday sound yeah. you know yeah. what i mean yeah i don't know mistletoe i just hate <laughs> yeah no. it's also it is interesting especially watching the movie having seen the musical first um yeah. just like the singular lines that are expanded into entire songs Still songs i know it's like wow we were really reaching for something to turn into a yeah. song there weren't we well, it's, but it's, sometimes he does it really well. Like yeah. the, um, for this is not an exit. I think that's a great example. Yeah, not a common man as well. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, Patrick has this beautiful little monologue where he talks about that, and it the way they expand that out. Yeah, uh, is is quite cool. Yeah, um, and obviously the the op- the morning routine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it's a beautiful way to open this show. Um, yeah. I do think it is for a contemporary audience. This this is maybe the the most cohesive example of the misstep. Like the difference between <laughs> what listening to the unadulterated cast recording and watching uh-huh. a mm, bootleg of the opening number. I would never do that. Ever. I never do that, especially for shows that have closed. Um <laughs> When you listen to it on the cast recording, it is interesting, a little funny, a little scary, right? And then the bass line comes in, sip, sip, I'm Patrick Bateman. Like, you yeah. Know, when you watch other people watching it and they find it hilarious that Patrick Bateman is really excited about his television with picture in picture capabilities, uh huh. It's not landing quite right. Exactly. I think it needs to be chilling. Ah. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, it needs to be hollow and scary. Yeah. Like, you know, start with him killing someone and then having his morning routine washing blood uh, off no. his face. Right? Or something. I don't know, because I think the psychopathy comes from his listing. In, yeah. Now, what, now this, this is what's strange. <laughs> Matt Smith definitely did this. Ben Walker, uh, I don't, I can't really tell. Um, mm. But yeah, so one of my friends who saw it, basically, uh, 
he'd stop the show. It, mm. Like if if people were out of line in the audience, he'd stop the show and he'd look at them, and he'd have this kind of moment of what the fuck are you doing? Interesting. Do you know what I mean? Do you um, think it was? Uh, no, because Patrick it, no, Bateman it doing just, it, or was it Matt Smith doing it? No, it's 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 totally intentional. Okay. Um, and it is to kind of assert like that is where the the horror element comes in because it's that idea of like like oh, I'm we're here. I might kill you. I might exactly. kill you right now. And what I would love is when they're laughing at him. Mm-hmm. In the opening routine, is if it? he just gives them that look, as if to say, "You can't laugh." Yeah, why is that funny? This is very serious. Yeah, yeah. Um, that would be a, that a would super be nice good thing. fix, especially it's, since the opening sets the tone. Like exactly, that's it. And instead, I feel like a lot of times he plays them for laughs. Right. Like, oh, the eighties! What a ridiculous yeah. time. Like it's um. There's a really that's a really niche example. I hope someone out there gets it. If you <laughs> won't, sorry. Um, there's a character uh, in one of my favorite plays called Abigail's Party. Okay. Um, it's a husband character called Lawrence, um, and he's uh, kind of like pseudo intellectual. Mm. I can't go into how all the depth of this. Basically, it's like a, like class drama, okay, um, comedy. Uh, He's a total pseudo-intellectual and he's trying to connect with someone else at this party mm-hmm. who is also a little bit intellectual uh-huh. um, by showing off his uh, complete works of Shakespeare. Okay. And it's really similar in tone yeah. with something that Patrick Bateman would do. You know, it like, describes it as like the leather bound, the gold around the gilding of the, the pages around the edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, he shows her it really, really neatly. Um, and it's like you just really pity him at that point because you're like, you're obsessing about the wrong things. Yeah. Like this, this really means nothing. Yeah. Um, and you don't really get it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what you need to enforce there. You need to get your swiping in with your pity. Right. As opposed to like, I'm telling, I'm naming brands. Yeah. Exactly. Laugh. Yeah. <laughs> what? How fun. And it, it, it kind of cuts, it's that annoying thing like that, that does seem to crop up quite a lot of people naming things in popular culture and people being like, ha, 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 I understand that. Yeah. When it's, it seems like it would be a hard thing to do right, especially if the book is such, so filled with so many lists. Like if oh you my wanna... God, it's constant. Like rel- every single chapter he will describe and what so he's wearing, what everyone else is wearing. If you want to be true to that, you have to include that. Totally. But getting getting the tone right is where the musical, especially early on, seems to yep. have missed it. Because I do think that the show gets scarier as it goes. Um, you know, due in no small part to like Patrick Bateman losing all his clothes and being covered in blood for most of Act Two. Um, like that can be scary. Um, but they wait a little too long to get there. Yeah, and so it, you're just kind of bored by that point. I think. Yeah, I don't know. I could, but again, it's that. Does it need to be scary? Or are you just are you looking at like it? Just you need to get that coldness. Yeah, I mean, maybe scary is the wrong word. It needs to be frightening. It needs to be chilling. Know, chilling. Yeah, that's a good yeah. word for it. There's yeah. there's a lot of nuance there. Um, it's a passive. It's a passive fear. Yeah, it's it's a it's like a. <laughs> It's a psychological thriller without the thriller. Maybe that's why they call it American Psycho. Um, yeah. 
but it, it misses a lot of that psychological bit. It does. I just think it could be. It could be so much. So good. And was so close. It is beautiful. It's beautiful to watch. The music. I know. The music's super catchy. And there's nothing like it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. And it's like, it's one of those things, like, hats off to them for tackling this. Yeah. Like, running because it is, straight into it. Ah, uh, totally. Like, it's such a difficult piece of fiction. Like, mm. I could never imagine. Yeah. And, like, not just a difficult Heidi book, but also a really popular film that, like, people are going to expect and that you're passionate yep. about the story for the right reasons, but know yep. that you have to cater to people who are passionate about the movie for the wrong reasons. Like, yep. Oh, it'd be a... like I don't know. Be, I guess it'd be like if someone was trying to do, like, well, I guess like a Clockwork Orange. Yeah, yeah. The the musical because like I've seen a stage play of Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. and it works very well. I think there is a Clockwork Orange musical. No, yeah. I think this crossed my radar maybe a year or two ago off Broadway. That surely would be good. Yeah, look, here's a bunch of shirtless people. John O. Davies will report, reprise his performance as Alex DeLarge, DeLarge in the off-Broadway transfer of the London production. Wait. Oh, is this just the play? Yeah. That's just the play. Yeah, apparently a musical version premiered in 1988 in Germany. Ooh, interesting. And then apparently a better-known musical version popped up in London at the Barbican in 1990. Hmm. So it does exist. Someone's done it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, I do feel like A Clockwork Orange is a good example. I was going to say um, Back to the Future, at least as like the... Oh, but see, with Back to the Future... It's not as heady. It's not as heighted. Exactly. You can. You can have fun at it. Same yeah. with Heathers. Yeah, exactly. Like Because of how it exists in its original form. Um, yeah. Whereas something like A Clockwork Orange, because of that deep-seated heightenedness, you need to stay true to that. But... American Psycho. Maybe we'll see more of it one day. I do hope so, and I hope it's better. (laughs) (laughs) But that's not to say it's not good. Yeah. No, it just needs a couple tweaks here and there and to not open across the street from Hamilton. Yep. Am I just an effect of a modern face? Am I just the end point of the Grand Parade? Should we be afraid?
that Jimmy was American Psycho. It was. It was indeed. I can rest easy now. It's true. I can go return those videotapes now. Hey, well done. <laughs> we went the whole podcast without referring to that one. Not a once. And I did. I I purchased it on Amazon Prime too, so I don't even get the pleasure of like bringing the it's VHS back to. It was not. It might be on, it's your on Netflix. our Netflix. Ugh. Says it all. That says it all. Ugh. American Netflix. Why must you do this to me? Exactly. I had to spend a um, whole two dollars on it. Shocking. <laughs> but totally worth it, right? Totally worth it. Great Isn't movie. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Have you ever read The Life of Pi? Nope. If you had, you'd understand why I'd bring it up. I'm not going to go any further. <laughs> just in case you do read it. Just in case you do read I it. I got two things to look up. Life of Pi and Magical Sponges Lady. Oh, just you wait. <laughs> Oh, you're going to love her. What should She's I do? She's going to change your life partially. What should I do first? Read the life of Pi or look up the Sponge's Lady? Oh, Sponge Lady. Sponge Lady. <laughs> and then just enjoy the Pi. Read the book before you see the film. That's okay. a note to anyone who's never seen either. Yeah. Very important. It's what I'm trying to do first. before I see Incredibles 2. Um, to read the By book the way, first. so I haven't... Yeah, hugely funny. Um, <laughs> you're so supportive of my comedy career. This is so good. Um, I haven't seen Incredibles 2 yet. I don't think it's out over here yet. I'm not 100% sure. Okay. Um, but uh-huh. one thing I've seen is like, uh, this was what it was like in Incredibles 1, and this is what it's like in Incredibles 2. Yeah. Is it like a mashup? No. It's, it's. I believe, I haven't seen it yet, but I believe it takes, it picks up right where the last one left off. But because animation technology has changed so rapidly in the past whatever five seven years yeah um, yeah, yeah. there are a bunch of characters like everyone looks much more detailed and has much more flowy hair and things i guess that that scene was at the end the one that i saw that makes sense the underminer yeah no it wasn't that one it was the one with violet flirting with the boy Mm, yes and the boy who i believe yes i said this too who is a more positive character or a more main character like featured. but of cool. course then they gave him more polygons and more personality which you know exactly. we all need both of absolutely i've been trying to find some polygons recently you just can't get them anywhere it's really hard it's hard to be a a, a man searching for polygons in today's day and Always. age and speaking of polygons <laughs> i've got a quick equipment equipment speaking well, of we- polygons Will we ever do a question again? Who knows? What a good question. Right? So are you ready? I'm ready. You're excited about this one, I can tell. I really right. am. Two of the actresses who have played the title role in this musical have only ever had one conversation with each other, and it went as follows. <clears throat> one actress said to the other, I'm taller than you. <laughs> Petty to a T. If yep. you want to get in contact with us, I'm Musical Mash on Twitter and Musical Theater Mash on YouTube. And I am Asim Hendricks on Twitter. Oh, yeah. And you can come and find us both at Jim and Tomic. Send us funny gifs. Always. Yeah. And I'll send you some back. Yeah. We're always we're always down for funny gif. I've got a, I've, love a GIF. I've started building my um Be Arthur GIF folder. I don't know why. It just struck Excellent. me one night, but you know, useful yeah. to have. Have you got like a favorite? GIF? Not a favorite B. Arthur, just a favorite GIF. Uh, my favorite B. Arthur is B. Arthur. Um, <laughs> do I have a favorite GIF? I don't know. I might have to think on that one. Do you have one? 
Uh, def- I've got like two that I always use quite a lot. Okay. Um, one is weird. It's Kokomon Trees, like looking sassy and like moving her head. Okay. In one of the, like the talking heads. Um, the other one is the cow with the hair. The cow with the hair. I've never seen this. It's like the wind windswept cow. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> you do you use the internet nope i've no idea what it is although Ridiculous. i do think we need to start a spin-off podcha- podcast where we just describe gifs verbally via the <laughs> podcast it'd be wildly popular hugely uh, popular if you want to hear more about this podcast head to gymatomic.com it's got a link to yep. the reddit discussion a link to the gold star promo code and a link to i don't know a bunch of other stuff exactly um and if you would like to support the podcast we would be very grateful for that. You can head on over to our Patreon. Um, the link is on the website. And that's it. We'll see you next time. Next time. I have the power to cut this, you know. I know, but you're going to leave it in. I can stab it out before it gets Once ridiculous. Can I just start going, I like it like that. <laughs> I like hard bodies. Why is there an ice cube in my soy sauce? To chill it, Courtney. <laughs> Great. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.